0: You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Hello again from Sprott Money News at SproutMoney.com. It's Friday, April the 9th, 2021. It is, of course, time for your Weekly Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Craig Hemke. As you know, Eric Sprott has been on a hiatus for the last several months. We hope to have him back soon. We've had a steady stream of high-quality guest hosts for this Weekly Wrap-Up. We've got a new one for you today. His name is David Jensen. We're very excited to have him join us uh, in the weekly wrap-up chair this week. David, of course, a mining executive and metals market analyst who currently runs two private mining companies, so he's definitely qualified uh, to give his opinions here. If you enjoy our weekly wrap-up or any of our podcasts, please give us a like, maybe a share, or even a sub- subscribe to whatever channel you're listening to. It'll help us get the word out. David, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Good morning, Craig. It's great to uh, to be with you today.
0: And we have no shortage of stuff to talk about. Again, as we get going, remember, uh, these broadcasts are brought to you by Sprott Money. Should be your preferred dealer for both physical metal, but also physical metal fully allocated storage. You can find out about all of our current deals by going to SprottMoney.com. But, of course, you can always pick up the phone and call us at 888-861. 0,775. Before I get to David, just uh, want to point out a couple of things about price this week. We've had a very nice rally over the last week and a half so, or so as longer term interest rates in the U.S. have come down and the dollar has pulled back as well. Uh, we're breaking some downtrend lines and uh, the silver in particular looks encouraging as it has broken its downtrend line from the short squeeze high above 30 on February the 1st. And it also has held support now of its 200-day moving average, looking like it wants to move higher, so perhaps we'll have a good month of April. We will continue to watch the inflation data. The uh, inflation at the wholesale level came out today in the U.S. with a month-over-month month number that was plus one percent, and a year-over-year year number that's four point two percent. Chairman Powell told us himself a couple of weeks ago, told us that we should expect higher inflation if anything, because when you calculate your annualized last 12 months rolling average inflation last March and last April in the throes of the COVID crisis were deflationary numbers, either zero or slightly negative. As last March and April come off of that 12-month average and get replaced with this March and this April, that stated inflation number is going to spike. So be aware of that. We had the PPI today. We'll get the CPI coming up on Tuesday. That'll be a big story next week. And I'm sure we'll be talking about the price action in the precious metals next week in the weekly wrap-up too. But again, we're closing up a good week this week with positive price action and some green candles on the weekly chart. With that, let's turn to David Jensen. David, I know you got a lot on your mind. This has been a crazy year so far, uh, particularly in silver, which has a... Uh, a finite amount of silver that comes out of the ground every year, a pretty consistent amount that gets refined as well um, and recycled. Maybe you put it all together, maybe it's a billion ounces a year. We chew up about 600 million ounces a year. <clears throat> excuse me. in uh, industrial demand, that gets consumed, leaving 350, maybe million ounces a year for investment demand and if investment demand exceeds that, all of a sudden, we got a supply deficit. Uh, that's where we're running. And the stories and uh, the uh, anecdotal evidence of supply deficits and supply shortages are getting more lengthy by the day. I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this. How do? You, where do you see things here in early April?
1: Well, you know, touching on your inflation number, uh, you know, inflation is at least 10%. Right. And uh, in, in reality, and I, I don't know what kind of psychedelics they're using at the Fed, but they're pretty good for them to say that it's... As low as it is and silver in particular should be absolutely flying in this environment and the fact that it's mired in the in the paper morass that it's in is just it's just incredible to see Craig Um, you know the two things that really hit us this year so far that that are really standouts in terms of changing the market and uh, you know as we've talked about before you and I that the paper game continues until there's physical shortage and then you lose control of the ability to set the price with digital contracts or paper contracts. As we saw in Palladium, it had a, a 5x move uh, after 2016, after the shortages hit. And, uh, you know, what the, the two indicators that I see that the shortages are coming and that they should be coming at as fast and furious is, number one, the statement by Jeff Curry that the, uh, uh, you know, back in February of Goldman Sachs, that the uh, ETFs were shorting the silver that belonged to their shareholders into the market after they bought it. uh, Number one. And then number two is the run on the unallocated accounts. um, As people are becoming aware that an unallocated account is a a promise to try to buy you some metal in the future if you you choose to uh, convert it into an allocated account. So, you know, both of those, you know, Curry's statement, because it it really lifts the veil on the ETFs and what everybody's everybody had feared had been going on. It's very interesting that Goldman didn't respond after Curry's statement. BlackRock, who is the sponsor of the SLV ETF, didn't say a peep. Bank of New York Mellon, who are the trustee, didn't say anything. And JP Morgan, who are the custodian for SLV, didn't say a thing. And it was such a shock through the industry that you would have expected that there would have been statements to clarify what uh, Curry had said, because uh, not only is it of concern to shareholders, but it's also illegal to sell something that belongs to something else into the market. So I've got to believe that they are moving. They have to cover this in some way um, in terms of lessening their, their liability to shareholders, because people are going to pursue this and are going to continue to pursue this in the future and the unallocated accounts uh the movement to secure allocated physical metal as people become aware of the problems that we're seeing at the perth mint um very interesting that the uh the royal mint in the uk is no longer selling bars and you know they the uh the lbma keeps talking about how deep and liquid their silver market is there in london um you know with over a billion ounces in their vaults and yet somehow the uh the uh, Royal Mint can't, uh, you know, uh, produce enough uh, bars that they can continue to sell right. these retail products to the market. I mean, it's, it's all right there. They should be able to just spit this stuff out and supply the market. So, um, you know, and going back to the uh, problems that we saw uh, with SLV in terms of uh, the run in February. And, you know, you've, you've touched on this, that there was 110 million ounces uh, in three days that poured into the SLV. Allegedly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if we look at the holdings of of the LBMA, the vaults in London, it's in round numbers, about a billion ounces. And um, Ronan Manuel there, Bullion Star pointed out that about 85% of that is held by the ETFs already. So that would leave around 150 million ounces that should not be available to the market. And if you look at a couple of things that are notable about that, Craig, is that um it, at the beginning of february uh the lbma came out and was saying oh you know we traded a billion ounces uh here in the lbma yesterday and this shows how liquid we are and how fantastic the market is but if you've got like 150 million ounces in your vaults a fraction of which is available to market right you've got you've got 850 held by the etfs 150 left over and of that 150 not all of that is going to be available for sale into the markets maybe you have yep. 50 million ounces available and they're trading 20 times that in a day in terms of these of the contracts that are trading in London, so that tells us that there's a real serious problem. And you know, if there was, let's say, 50 million or 75 million ounces of the you know the delta, the 150 that's remaining, how does SLV gain 110 million ounces in three days? Uh, I mean, if if you looked at importing that amount, um, 110 million ounces, just to put it in perspective there would have been 340 armored trucks that would have had to gone from the airport um into the SLV uh, uh, into the London vaults of <laughs> JP Morgan and the others so i mean and if they'd floated into into the london city airport it would have looked like the berlin airlift all right. over again right right i mean it's incredible to move that amount of metal so we've got real questions here um that just haven't been answered craig and You know, overall, if you just take the uh, the month end numbers that we get from the LBMA and the month end numbers we get from SLV, I mean, SLV does it daily, but LBMA doesn't. I mean, there there was at least 50 million ounces that would have had to have been moved um, or sorry, 72 million ounces that would have had to have been moved um, uh, into London. And the LBMA data is just showing about 21 million ounces uh, in terms of the increase in vault holdings. Um, over four months from november through to february so the numbers just don't add up and um you know we're seeing this this movement into physical metal with the with the uh, wall street silver movement and i I just don't think it's going to stop and i think that there's tremendous shortages out there in the market and the fact that the mexican uh, mint stops producing and and the royal mint now is is seizing up on the bars there is serious trouble coming my friend
0: u.s mint as well we'll add them to the Put that log on the fire. And as you said, um, the, the, what people are figuring out, things like the SLV, if you say, oh, yeah, I own silver. I own the SLV. <laughs> you don't own anything. You own exposure to price. You know, if silver goes up right. or silver goes down that price that's determined through the trading of the futures contracts, then you've got that. Yeah. But you don't own silver. Yeah. And people are figuring that out now with the unallocated accounts too. Look, I understand why someone would buy an unallocated account. They think they can come get their silver, you know, in the future if they ever actually want it. But in the meantime, they save on insurance costs. They save on storage costs and the rest. But again, what do they really have in real time? They have exposure to price and that's really it.
1: Right. And I I think that the, the telling number for me is that, you know, I, as a, a point of reference, I use about 50 to 100 million ounces of, of liquid silver available in London, and the fact that you've got these two issues with the ETFs potentially having sold two times the, the silver that they hold, and then the problem with the unallocated accounts trying to roll into allocated metal for delivery, we've got you know serious problems in London is the physical metal market. The comics is not the source for metal uh globally in tra- physical trading and the the fact that these numbers are so tiny in london is that you know we we've got a, a very serious movement coming up in this uh in this market in terms of both availability and the price movement should start thereafter but you know the fact that the market, market's still stuck in the $25 range is just to me there's a complete disconnect there And it's almost like this elephant is just absolutely sitting on the head of silver and silver investors. Um, uh, But it will be removed by a physical shortage. And it is interesting to see the cutting off of supply of metal from these major sources.
0: And I want to go back to Palladium, because you and I watch Palladium very closely from 2016 to 2020. And now it's even moving up again now in 2021 well, what happened there is, yeah. was a removal of metal from London as uh you know supply shortages emerged because Russia was a big supplier of of a uh, global supplier of palladium, and they kind of stepped back from the market it seemed and then you had wholesale demand industrial demand for palladium rising at the same time and all of a sudden the banks that again just as the same banks that make the markets and and run the markets in New York and London in gold and silver, they do it in palladium too. And they were forced out of that market and open interest fell. Uh, bank net positions uh, basically evaporated to back to neutral and price moved toward just physical pricing. And we've seen palladium, as you said, go up four to five times in a period of what, about three years maybe?
1: Yep, absolutely. And if we look at things like uh, um, uh, iridium, I mean, it's now trading at, at uh, six thousand bucks an ounce, and that was like a fraction of that number. Uh, uh, just just a few months ago, in December, it started to move up. I'll just pull up a price chart here, just to give you a sense of how these markets move. It's sixty-two hundred bucks an ounce now. Um, uh, at the at the at the end of last year, it was in December. It was it was about seventeen hundred. And so this is what happens with metal markets where there's an actual shortage. You've seen it in iridium. You've seen it in rhodium, which are both platinum group metals. You've seen it in palladium um, that the, you know, with the printing of money, that the, the real physical assets start to disappear from the market. And it's, it, it's a form of Gresham's law, if you will, that, that uh, bad money drives out good and that bad money or bad currency drives out good assets is that these assets just dry up and historically it was platinum that moved first silver that moved second and then gold that moved third um, in the 1970s when the prices started to run and this is exactly what we'd be expecting to see now is that the that the more uh, rare uh, metals that are more difficult to get into the market are the ones that are going to move up in price first and you know lo and behold we're seeing it and it's just a question of time Um, until the physical demand starts to short circuit this paper market, um, uh, in London, especially, and then also in New York, it's going to drive the price much, much higher.
0: And I think what you're saying, David is, you know, there's a time and a place when unallocated accounts and ETFs and, and just simple price exposure. That's fine. You know, if that's all you're looking for, there, there's Mm -hmm. a time and a place where that's fine and, and works just fine. Uh, that right now is not, we're not in that time and place, I think is, is your message.
1: Exactly. And I, You know, I, I really see that coming from the mining industry, I'm a big fan of, of mining shares, but given the current backdrop of the problems in the banks and seeing how leveraged they are to uh, loans uh, and bonds as their assets, it's, it's uh, over 90% of their assets is very typical for a bank to have bonds and loans on that level. Is that as you have a decline in the economy, the banks become destabilized. And you know, there's a very few people understand that here in Canada, we passed a bank bail in law uh, back in October 2016. And it just has happened in Cyprus and in Greece, it allows the bank to seize uh, assets uh, uh, of, of, the, of the depositors in order to make itself whole. Now, Right now, it doesn't let you seize the assets of a bank deposit or it can't do that according to the regulations. But the law is written up so that the cabinet uh, can change the regulations by what's called an order in council. So by, by passing an edict by a cabinet resolution, they can change the rules of this Bank Act. And that's one of my concerns here is that people are you know looking with great faith. At stocks and unallocated accounts and these other things, without realizing that if they're held in the systemically important banks here in Canada, that Canada can enact the bank bail-in laws in an in an extreme emergency, with order and counsel to to uh, to seize assets. And that's something I think people should keep in mind. Here is that, you know, I I went from being really gung ho on the mining shares, uh, you know, four or five years ago. To being very circumspect now because of the passage of this law, seeing that the Trudeau government is a fan of passing uh, orders in council, they took hmm. away uh, the right to own what are called uh, assault rifles here in Canada over a weekend with a no debate and no law passed, and and it's something that I'm really watching with a close eye here, Craig.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, possession. What do they say? Possession. Nine ninety percent of the law, something like that. <laughs> Get it in yeah. your possession, yeah uh, if there's ever a time to get it in your possession it's now, and uh they're even bank i've i've heard I remember hearing stories what I know they're getting out of the the bullion bank business, but didn't Scotiabank Bank used to run certificate programs too Scotia.
1: yes, they did, and they they had Scotia Mercado, which was I believe almost a three hundred year old company, and they shut it down uh, last December, which is very strange. they tried to sell it for a year and a half, but nobody wanted to get into the bullion. <laughs> Bullion Money. banking business in the middle of one of the biggest, you know, bull markets in history, which tells us something.
0: Yeah. Hey, David, in our time remaining, I want to get your thoughts on one other thing that happened yesterday. Uh, as a mining executive yourself, what do you think of the announcement of Endeavor Silver, one of the few primary silver miners that are out there? Uh, they announced yesterday in their late their first quarter production report that they produced about one point one one point two million ounces of silver, but they only sold into the market about half of that retaining the other half in inventory, because in their words, they felt prices were depressed and they were going to hold out for higher prices. Now we've already got, um, (laughs) obviously a tight global situation for silver. And now we've got maybe some mining companies that could exacerbate that issues. What do you think of it as a business model to hold it back? But what do you think about the news in, uh, in general?
1: I think it's essential, uh, for mining companies, uh, if they want to protect the interests of their shareholders, um, not to be selling their, their metal uh, through these virtual uh, digital markets, which uh, misprice and, and suppress the prices of gold and silver. The whole, the whole scheme, Craig, in, in London and New York wouldn't work if the uh, mining companies refused to sell uh, through those vehicles through the bullion banks into these digital markets, the whole system only works with the cooperation of mining executives so I I think it's absolutely essential you know Rob McEwen started out Goldcorp that way too he would hold back uh, There's pictures of him sitting on pallets of gold and he'd be like we're not selling this month because the price is too low we're going to sell when the price goes higher and you know the whole scheme only works while the the uh, bu- while the miners provide the physical bullion to the lbma and to the comex for them to play with the price and once they stop doing that the pricing system falls apart because it's the only thing that gives it legitimacy is when you can actually secure physical bullion at the artificial prices that they set so i think it's a brilliant move anything you can do to reduce the flow to new york and london to get uh to get you know honest price discovery based on supply and demand um, is a good thing. So, you know, kudos uh, to the board there and to the, the CEO of Endeavor. And it's, 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 you know, I'd like to see a, a miner's auction. I made a presentation in 2016 to the Canadian Institute of Mines saying it's essential that the miners start up a mining auction system where, you know, monthly or, or, or bi-weekly or whatever, they sell their metal into the market on an open auction basis to the highest bidder and that they get away from these digital exchanges. But, yep. you know, we've seen just absolutely no movement till now from the miners. So look forward to seeing that in the future, hopefully.
0: Yeah, I'd I say we uh, uh, thank Endeavor Silver for doing it. We thank Keith uh, Newmeyer at First Majestic doing the same. And any other encouragement we can give to any of these other miners to so do what you said. Yeah, get cut out those bullion banks that aren't in the – they're not these like – benevolent altruistic organizations that are just there to help right <laughs> they yeah. want they want to keep the the mining companies as slaves to the system so if we can encourage them um, in any way to work around that system I think it's great uh, David anything else on your mind before we wrap up
1: no just you know finishing off that thought there is that the, the entire speculative bubble that ran since the lbMA was created in 1987 it was it, the whole speculative bubble was uh, of low interest rates and massive liquidity injected by central banks only could work while the price of gold and silver were suppressed. Um, gold and silver uh, moved up nine, ten times, um, or sorry, uh, gold moved up from 42 bucks an ounce to 8.50 an ounce uh, over nine years in the 70s, and it drove interest rates to 19% before they could pull people out of gold and silver back into bonds again and since that time with the creation of the LBMA and the COMEX uh, with their digital trading they've been able to run interest rates down to zero percent with no meaningful move uh, upwards like we should be five times the current metal prices right now uh, you know given the wildly inflated uh, monetary policy that's underway with the monopoly money system we have and it we are going to see that uh, type of price move and it's going to happen due to shortage Um, But anything that that can be done to stop this uh, stripping of wealth of citizens uh, with this digital pricing system uh, is encouraged.
0: I'm with you 100% on that, my friend. Uh, Well, we've spent a lot of time this morning talking about silver and how hard it is to find in a global wholesale supply squeeze, a little shortage, and how now is the time to get some in your hands. I tell you, if you want to get some in your hands, we do currently have some at Sprott Money. Royal Canadian Mint gold and silver maples. We even got a few hundred ounce silver bars and our best seller uh, Sprott Silver Rounds as well. Very well priced at SprottMoney.com. You can buy them directly online. But if you want to talk to a human being and you have some questions before making a purchase, just give us a call. Again, that number 888- 861- 0775 and somebody from the Sprott Money team will be happy to help you. Again, we've been speaking with David Jensen an old friend of ours, mining executive and metals market analyst. Good guy to know, good guy to follow on Twitter if you're on Twitter. Uh, he's always got some good information he posting there. So uh, we'll make sure we keep in touch with David. For now, though, David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time, Craig. And from all of us here at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend.